That's right, on the show today is Maggie Wheeler, who is best known for playing Janice on the long-running series Friends. As well as today, a whole lot of film and DVD reviews. That's all coming up on today's Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the show today. I'm your host, Benjamin Man McKay, and as I said earlier, joining me on the show today is Maggie Wheeler. Now, Maggie played Janice Chandler's original girlfriend on Friends. Now, uh, a lot of you will remember her famous line that we heard at the start of the show in that whiny voice, and most of you will be quite surprised to know that Maggie Willard doesn't actually talk like that. And she's also guest starred in Seinfeld, How I Met Your Mother, and a whole lot of other fantastic American series. And now she's also taken to music, and I'll talk to her all about that in the interview. So here she is, Maggie Wheeler. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, I'm so happy to be here. Now, who or what inspired you to become a performer? Uh, I think uh, I'm a middle child, and I think that uh, I grew up wanting to make people laugh. It's something that came to me very early, and I and I really I was a, a mimic at a very young age, and I think I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed making people happy and making people smile. So that started pretty early for me, and then I pursued opportunities as a as a child in school and beyond to do community theater or, or to take classes and do plays in the summer, anything I could get my hands on, really. I started pretty early to, um, to pursue that work. Mm. So what would you say has been the highlight of your career so far? Well, uh, you know, I've had many highlights, I'm happy to say. Obviously, Friends stands, you know, at the pinnacle. So, uh, you know, that was just such an incredible experience and such a phenomenal character to play. Uh, ten years of, of that was just pure joy. Gr- the cast, the, the writers, the producers, everything about that, that job uh, really was a dream come true. But I've also had, you know, other other phenomenal experiences and working with Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm and on Seinfeld and uh, and working on Californication. And, you know, every time I think uh, I think, you know, I've I've sort of it's come in a perfect form. Something else comes and surprises me. And this past year I had a chance to do an episode of of a show called Hot in Cleveland, a cast of incredibly funny women. Uh, one of whom is Betty White, and you know she's a mm-hmm. she's an icon. She's she's television history in 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 person, and I was there for her ninety second birthday. So that was really an unexpected magical experience for me as an actress and as somebody who's worked a lot in comedy to be to be there to celebrate Betty White's ninety second birthday. So I, I've had a lot of really wonderful experiences. And what would you consider your most memorable experience throughout your career? Uh, you know, I remember, I I have a good memory, (laughs) so (laughs) I remember everything, the good and the bad. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Obviously friends is, friends is, is etched in my memory and in the memories of, of, you know, other people across the world. So that's, that's a pretty exciting chapter. Mm. Now you've worked in various mediums, TV, film, voice work, and also in music, which is your favorite? Uh, you know, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. Um, as an actress, I I think it's fair to say that you know that I've really loved my comedy work uh, 
deeply. Um, I adore voiceover. I've been doing, that's where I really started. That's where, where, where my, my, my career and work life began was doing cartoons in New York City. And, and, um, and I really do love animation and I love to do that work. So that brings me great joy. And then, you know, I've often said that I, that I, I sing for my soul and I act for my supper. Uh, you know, my, my music work is very, is a very soulful, important part of my life. And, uh, I direct a choir, uh, direct a large community choir in Los Angeles that I've been uh, co-directing with, with my friend, Emil Hassan Dyer, and we've been doing it for nine years. And, uh, and it's really very powerful, important and special part of my life. Uh, it, it, it exists side by side with my, with all the other work that I do, but it's really, um, I feel in, in many ways that it's it's kind of a mission, and I and I travel with that work as well, and and teach in other communities, and and uh, and bring bring the kind of music that we do, which sort of makes the experience of creating harmony uh, accessible to everybody. Mm. So, could you talk us through your career journey? Uh, I began. I grew up in New York City. Uh, I, I I I developed a you know, a dream and a passion for acting at a, at a pretty young age. So I, my first, uh, really I, my first play, I was very, very young. My family was on vacation and they sort of dropped me off at a community center. And the next thing you know, I was in a production of the wizard of Oz and I was playing Auntie M and a munchkin. <laughs> that's uh, how everyone that's starts. Where, <laughs> that's where it all began. And then, uh, you know, and then on to summer camp and, you know, anytime I could get a chance to do that sort of stuff. And then, as I said earlier, my, well, well, my first, my first sort of big break, uh, was a show for NBC that was, uh, when Lauren Michaels stepped away from Saturday Night Live for a season, he directed a primetime comedy show called The New Show. And I was cast, uh, as a regular cast member on The New Show, which was another sketch comedy show, but primetime. So obviously it had to be a little bit more careful with its content, but I had a chance to work with some of the greatest uh, guest stars on that show, from Kevin Klein to Raul Julia and Penny Marshall and and John Candy, just an incredible array of people that came through. Steve Martin, phenomenal experience for Mm. me at, at a pretty young age. Uh, and then when that was over, I moved out to Los Angeles and I, I did a little TV work here. <clears throat> and then I got a phone call from New York uh, through a connection of Lauren Michaels asking me if I would come back and do this cartoon work. And so I moved back to New York and I went to work for a company called Rankin Bass. And in the States, you know, we all grew up on these Christmas uh, cartoons, these animated um, claymation, animagic Christmas cartoons of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all this sort of stuff. I don't know how international those are, but um, they're really a part of the American experience, or at least during my generation. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, and so that's so I went to work in animation and and just spent several years working for Rankin Bass and loving every minute of it. And then I made an independent film called New Year's Day. Uh, on the day that the the new show was canceled. I went out to dinner and, and, and met uh, an independent film director by the name of Henry Jaglum. We started talking. I moved back out to Los Angeles, then I moved back to New York, and we, we made this movie called New Year's Day that was um, nominated to uh, represent the U.S. at the Venice Film Festival and put me on Johnny Carson. And, you know, so so every, just, just one thing after another, many things happened along the way. I made a small movie in New York where I met a wonderful actor named Brian Benben who went on to do a show for HBO called called Dream On that was created by Marta Kaufman and, uh, and David Crane and, and, uh, and Kevin Bright, and so who, who would later go on to create Friends. 
and uh, and eventually I did a guest spot on that show, and that's how I met all those guys. And then years later, I walked in to audition for the role of Janice, and uh, you know, and somewhere in between there, I did Ellen DeGeneres' show. You know, it's just, it was a crazy. It's been a crazy journey. Mm. It's not a straight line. Absolutely. Now, what would be your ideal project? Um, you know, there's a lot of really great television being made now. You know, Transparent, which was uh, which is a show that's on Amazon, just won uh, a number of Golden Globe awards, and and it's a great show by Jill Soloway. You know, there's a lot of really fantastic, kind of naturalistic, incredibly deeply funny stuff that's happening right now, and I'd love to do a show like that. Uh, I just shot a little. Um, TV movie sort of slash pilot for Nickelodeon's kids channel, uh, a really funny piece called Genie in a Bikini. And, um, you know, if that, if that show were to, were to go, I'd be thrilled to, uh, to do that. So I don't know. I, I don't like to make those decisions too clearly when it comes to my acting work, because I'm always surprised by what sort of pops up on the horizon. It's usually something I never imagined. Absolutely. Now, I think we've, we've kind of dabbled in uh, Friends and the fact that you played Janice on the show. How did this role come about for you? Uh, I had been working on the Ellen DeGeneres, the first season of Ellen DeGeneres' show, which was called These Friends of Mine, and it was, you know, uh, sort of happening side by side as Friends was being developed and created and cast. Uh, the popular belief is that I auditioned for the role of Monica. I, to my recollection, that never happened. Um, but uh, I, I, I was fired from the Ellen series. I was the first in a, a row, you know, sort of of dominoes that went down uh, as they retooled the entire show. And it was really a very radical experience for me to be fired from a job. I had never been fired before, and of course, nobody wants that to happen. Mm. But, uh, you know, when it did happen, and I realized I wasn't going to die <laughs> from it, uh, it sort of liberated me in a lot of ways. And, uh, and I went to, and then all of a sudden that Friends audition came across my desk, and it said, fast-talking New Yorker at the top of the page. And I grew up in New York City. I play those women with my eyes closed. You know, those are the yeah. people that I know it's, it, on a cellular level and I had really stayed away from from doing that as an actor because I thought uh oh you know if they find out I do that <laughs> I'll never do anything else right so I think for many years that's what I thought but at that point having sort of been tossed out of the plane without a parachute uh, in, in the way that that uh, that the Ellen show ended for me I felt uh, in a way very free and, and so I read that I read that uh, you know parenthetical direction at the top of the page and I knew right away who that woman was. And I knew that no matter what, I was going to have a really good time that day when I went to that audition. And that's what happened. I just went in and I, you know, I brought, I brought Janice. <laughs> and they, they sort of sat up on the couch and looked at me funny. And I thought, uh-oh, I don't know if I did the right thing. But as it turned out, of course, it was the beginning of a great love affair. Absolutely. So what was the audition process like for the show when it started? I went in for a first meeting and, I, and two, two people were there. I, I think it was... I think it was Marta and David, although it might have been Marta and Kevin, two of them, one of them was missing. And, uh, you know, I just went into the room. I had my little, my little three page scene. We talked briefly, said, hello. I, you know, I, I did what I came to do. And as I said, they, I sort of saw them kind of sit back and make a funny face. And I, and it really, in my mind, I thought, oh, whoops, I guess, uh, I guess I went too far or I guess I went in the wrong direction. 
Mm. Uh, and I left. And the next thing I know, I got another phone call to come back and do it again, show them again. And that time, whoever the third person was that hadn't been there was present. And that was the beginning. And really, it was only a single episode. It wasn't a recurring character. Uh, and I went in and shot that first episode. And, you know, a lot of really wonderful things happened, including the invention of Janice's laugh on the set, because Matthew Perry was so funny. I thought, uh oh, you know, I better figure out how to laugh as this character because I know he's going to crack me up and I'm sure he's going to do it when the cameras are rolling. So I decided to invent a laugh. And, uh, you know, sort of all that stuff happened in the first episode. And then uh, the writers loved her and the creators loved her and they just kept bringing the character back. Mm, Well, she really is a wonderful character. Thank you. Now, I'm sure some people will be quite surprised to hear your normal voice as Janice did have such a whiny and iconic voice. How did you go about creating that? Well, as I said, I grew up in New York City, sort of surrounded by those people. And when I saw, you know, first I saw the, the, you know, that it said fast talking New Yorker. And then I just looked at the language. And I have to say, you know, music is a huge part of my life, the way that I live and what I do and what I like to share with people. And as an actor, I also work musically, you know, I, 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 I'm attracted to, to the cadence and the, and the rhythm and the music of language. And, um, and so frequently when I'm working on a character, that's, that's where I, that, that's my entrance point. Mm. And so I looked at the language and I looked at, and I could hear, you know, the rhythm of that crazy dialogue. And I think it was the line where she says, you know, here, you know, I'm giving you bullwinkle socks, mix and match, moose and squirrel, squirrel and moose, whichever you want, or something like that. And, you know, that was kind of the, the, the tip off for me of, of how she, how she worked in the world. And so, you know, I just, I grabbed at that mm. and, and ran. Absolutely. Now, you're one of only a few people to have appeared in at least one episode in every series. What was shooting the first series like compared to shooting episodes in the final series? Had the atmosphere changed a lot? You know, when we first started, it was this very funny little relaxed kind of um, environment where people were just flopped out on couches playing poker in the green room during breaks. You know, it was just a little bit like summer camp. And then each year... As, as the show became more successful and everybody became, you know, m- much more famous and, and busy, uh, the, they switched from a kind of a, a, a more humble stage to a, a larger stage and the dressing rooms were, were a bit more uh, upgraded. And then, and then the next thing you know, set dressing was decorating the dressing rooms. And so everybody had a, had a pretty fabulous looking dressing room and they would rotate every, every season. So nobody had one dressing room for the entire, for the entire run of the show. You know, they would switch mm. uh, so that every, every season somebody had a different room, but, but, uh, but anyway, they did beautiful things to the dressing rooms. And then, you know, back in the early days when everyone was so busy and they suddenly had fax machines in their dressing rooms and, you know, their managers were calling and deals were being made and things were happening. It was just, you know, know it, it changed but but uh but the connection the essence the love the camaraderie never changed mm. so could you describe for our listeners an average shooting day on friends uh an average shooting day on friends you arrive in the morning uh, uh it began with a table read so that everybody would sit around and read the script that's usually what happens on most on most sitcom sets you sit down and you read it out loud and everybody gets a chance to hear it uh, then you go down to the set and you begin to rehearse. And uh, and every day the you know people will come down and, and watch and give notes and and uh, and go back and make some adjustments in the writer's room and sort of see what's happening at the end of the day. So you, there's usually a run through at the end of each afternoon. 
And, uh, and then by Wednesday, the network comes down and there's a big network run through. And when that happens, there are chairs set up in front of every, every, uh, every part of the set. So, you know, the set has all the different central perk and the apartments and all the rest. So there are chairs set up in front of every set and the network and the writers and everybody will all come sit in their chairs. And then when the scene is over, everybody gets up and moves to the next set, sits down, you show them the next thing and they all sort of take copious notes and then they go off and have meetings and then more changes are made. And then you come back in on Thursday and on Thursday they block for camera. So that means that, you know, the cameras come in and they figure out all their movements and, and uh, the cast will come in and run through a scene and then they'll walk off and stand-ins will, 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 will come onto the set and run it for everything with for camera and then the actors will come back and do it again that happens all day on thursday as well as pre-shooting things that need to be pre-shot and then on friday you come in at about uh, 11 or noon or even sometimes a little earlier or later for hair and makeup and for uh, rehearsal uh, rehearsal for camera and then the audience comes in and you do the show mm, so quite a busy couple of days it is <laughs> it's a five-day week and it's a lot of fun mm, sounds like it now, was there any appearance of Janice on the show that really surprised you? There were many that surprised me. You know, every time the, the every time I knew uh, they were going to have me back in, I would sort of sit at the door waiting for the script to arrive to see what have they thought of now. Uh, certainly, the episode where she sleeps with Ross is a big surprise, and uh, and it was very funny because uh, they you know they never. Um, they never revealed my character until my first entrance. So they would hide me from the audience. And in fact, they put up screens on the set so that even when I made, when I walked through a door, the audience never saw me sort of in the offstage spaces where you might mm. be able to see an actor before they entered a scene. They would put up screens so that they never saw me until my very first entrance. So it was a big shock to the audience as well. And I always got a very big laugh on my entrance because, you know, they were all shocked and surprised to see that I had returned. But on the night that I did the episode where, where I had been, where I had slept with Ross and the cast members were all standing around trying to get him to say where he'd been and the door opens and in I, I walk. Well, I mean, that reaction went on for, I think, five minutes. <laughs> Screaming, laughing, groaning. I mean, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, am I right in saying that you went to the taping of the final Friends episode ever? I did. How was I did? Yeah. How how was this different to any other taping, and what was the mood like on set? Oh my gosh, there were a lot of tears. I must say, it was very, very, very emotional in a beautiful way. You know, I mean, I, uh, everybody was, the, or many people were ready for it to end. Excuse me. <clears throat> many people were ready for it to end, and many people were not. But but uh, but regardless, everybody was weeping. <laughs> So, being part of such a worldwide, iconic and popular show, are you often recognised by fans? I am recognised. Um, I'm not, you know, I, 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 my level of, of fame or notoriety is, is quite different than that of the, um, of the cast, the, you know, the regular cast members. But, yes, I am recognised fairly frequently, and especially in airports. <laughs> Any reason why airports? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I've never been able to explain it. Now, some Friends fans can be fairly dedicated. Have you ever had a strange encounter with a fan? Uh, no, I've only had wonderful encounters with a fan. I had a really funny encounter, actually. The strangest and most wonderful, hilarious thing that happened recently. Uh, I went into a, a store here. I went into a Pier 1 
furniture store, kind of, you know, bohemian furniture store. Mm. And uh, I was wandering around looking for something. And there was uh, a, a young, two young, there were two young women there, two Muslim women, and they had, uh, they had headscarves on. And they were walking, shopping. And uh, somehow, one of them asked me a question, if I knew where, where, I, where they could find something, and I answered. And then she sort of did a double take. And she said, oh, wait a minute, you know, are you the girl from Friends? Are you the, are, do you, and, and so I said, yes. Anyway, she flipped out. And apparently she, she and her daughter, it was, it was a mother and daughter, but they, her mother looked so young and, and they were there for a wedding and they were hilariously funny. I think they were from Chicago or Philadelphia. I can't remember where their, where, where home was. And, uh, and she, she asked me if I would make a little film for her cousin or something like that. And so she said, and I said, yes, we were laughing. They were very, very funny. So I said, sure, I would do it. And so she said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You go over there behind the, that, that, uh, you know, whatever it was, you know, a stack of something, a shelf that had plates on it or something like that. Anyway, she began to direct me and it was utterly hilarious. And her daughter was laughing hysterically and I was laughing hysterically. And I let her direct me in this little video and I came around and I, and her name was, her name is Bushra. I hope someday she hears me talking about her. Anyway, she, she, I I came around from behind the thing and I said, oh my God, it's Bushra in Pier One. I can't believe I'm finding you here. And we did this hilarious encounter. But the first time I did it, she wasn't satisfied. So she said, (laughs) back and directed me a little bit more i mean she was a riot she was fearless and that was a pretty funny encounter i have to say that sounds truly wonderful Uh, so i suppose the average fan encounter is you know people recognizing you then asking you to do the janice catchphrase that is what they want to hear oh my god there it is or sometimes people like to hear me say you love me chandler bing you just don't know you love me (laughs) oh dear that never gets old that's why friends ran for so long Now, uh, in general, what do you look for in a character when accepting or auditioning for a role? Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky question to answer because, you know, really, I'm I'm drawn to a wide array of of characters to play, but I guess, yeah, I have to find something. I have to find some heart. I have to find something I can connect to. Um, even, you know, I played a really crazy woman on Californication, uh, obsessive, uh, you know, out of control, sometimes violent, a lunatic on, um, on Californication, <clears throat> but I really loved her. I loved her character. I loved, I loved, you know, how, how crooked her thinking was. So I, I don't know. I'm afraid I can't, I can't answer that easily. Right. Now you've guested on some popular shows like Seinfeld and How I Met Your Mother, What's the primary difference between playing a lead or recurring role as opposed to a one-off guest star? Uh, I don't treat them differently, I must say. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't treat them differently. I just try to bring the whole person to the table, no matter if it's just a tiny little appearance or if, it's a, or, or if there's more to do. Hmm. So when doing those you know, guest roles on shows, do you create much of the character's background if it's not already provided for you? Um, you know, it depends. I, 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 I do in my thinking, certainly. I mean, you know, if it's, if it's a sitcom and I have one scene, I'm, I'm not likely to sit down and, you know, write copious notes for myself. But I certainly do think about it. And, I, and you know, and I, put, I put that kind of thought and that kind of preparation into, uh, into bringing those people to life. <laughs> and I've, I've had a, a great time on all of those shows. 
Mm. So do you have a specific process or routine that you have to do before each taping or performance? No, I do not. (laughs) No, I do not. I'm a very sort of non-programmatic human, Mm -hmm. very bad at taking vitamins and doing things that are sort of, you know, sequential and, uh, and, and, and ritualized. So I don't, I don't have a ritual kind of practice before work. Uh, I, yeah, I I don't. I think I treat things rather differently. I kind of approach them differently. Uh, You know, I, as I say, you know, I'm attracted to language and rhythm and, and, and cadence and, and, uh, and the song of uh, the song of a person. And that often takes me into the character. But I would say that, you know, each, each show that I work on, the environment is a little bit different. I take time certainly to myself in my dressing room and I, you know, I try to spend time a lot of time in preparation and in, in you know in the quiet of my own space before I jump out and start working. Mm. So what sitcom or television show haven't you appeared on yet that you'd like to? Mm. <laughs> uh, let's see, I'd love to appear on Transparent. I'd love to uh, appear on About a Boy, which I'm mad for. Um, uh, what else am I loving these days? Uh, Oh my goodness, I don't know, there's quite a lot of good television right now. And I'm drawing a blank because the (laughs) list is too long. There's a lot of good stuff out there right now. There is, there certainly is. Now, how have you seen the acne industry evolve since you started working in it? Uh, You know, there's a lot less face-to-face time with people. When I started... There were, you know, you went on frequent general meetings, even if you already knew a casting director, you know, there were sort of every, every year or even maybe, you know, maybe a little less or a little, or a little more than a year, you know, somebody would make an appointment to sit down with you and kind of reacquaint themselves with you in a personal Hmm. way. Uh, so that you, so that you were fresh in their mind and, and, uh, and they, they could really kind of have a sense of you as, as, as time was passing and that doesn't happen anymore. Um, so, and there's a lot of digital stuff that's going on and sending auditions by, you know, uh, you know, audition files and there's just less time face to face with people, uh, which is a bit tricky. It is. It certainly is. Now, in addition to your acting career, as we, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, you also co-lead the Golden Bridge Community Choir. When did you first realise the importance of music in your life? You know, I, when I was a child, uh, fortunately, I, was, um, I attended a summer camp that was run by Pete Seeger's brother, and Pete Seeger is sort of the father of American folk music, and I was surrounded by folk musicians and banjos and guitars and dulcimers and great, beautiful music and sitting around campfires singing into the, into the, into the night. Um, and that was a really formative experience for me. That ex- that that the experience of creating music in community, and I and and I it created a yearning in me, so that it was something that I sought out in one way or another as I as I as I grew. Mm. Uh, I became really drawn to uh, to gospel music and to African music at a fairly young age. Um, I turned 16 in Africa. I spent a month there when I was, you know, when I was, uh, turning 16. Um, and, uh, I just, that was just always something that was in it sort of inexplicably in my soul, uh, that I was drawn to that kind of music. And, uh, and many years later, I was fortunate to be a student in a workshop taught by Isai Maria Barnwell, who, uh, for many years, uh, sang bass for a group called Sweet Honey in the Rock. And I was, 
present at the first vocal workshop that she taught. Now she teaches all over the world, and she's an extraordinary conductor, teacher, arranger. And, uh, and she really set me on the path. She really showed me what was possible in a room full of 60 people, many of whom had never sung before, um, to take, to set the bar high, to teach uh, in the oral tradition without sheet music, and to really, really create magic. And so something was set in motion for me on that day, and, uh, and I began my journey as a song leader. And, um, and eventually, nine years ago, I taught many, many workshops for years without the idea of starting a choir. But then I headed off to Canada uh, to, uh, and took a training called the Community Choir Leadership Training that exists in Victoria, Canada, run by some wonderful people. And, uh, and I met Emil Hassan Dyer, who also lives in Los Angeles, and we both had the, the strong desire to create you know, a, a stable, consistent opportunity for people to come and sing. And so we, we, we created the choir, and it's just um, it's so magical, and it's become such a powerful and important thing in people's lives. And even if I drop into a community for a day, or a weekend, you know, even even then, um, great and wonderful change is created through the making of music. So I feel incredibly honored to be doing the work. I'm super passionate about it. You know, every spare moment I have, I'm working on new songs and harmonies and arrangements and things that I want to teach the choir. And I have, you know, everybody, I have from five-year-olds to, 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 to 80-year-olds in the choir. Mm. So for people who wanted to get involved with something like that, how would they go about that? Well, if they want to bring me to their community, they can go to either goldenbridgechoir.com and uh, contact me from there or or to maggiewheeler.net and they can contact me from there. Um, that's an uh, you know, that's something that Emil and I love to do. We love to come and, and visit people in in other countries and in other places and and bring and bring music. So, uh, uh and, and the website's really illustrate what that's all about. There are videos to see and things like that. So that's one way to do it. And then if you're in your own community, um, you know, uh, you're, you're, well, first of all, where you are, there are so many community choirs. Uh, there's so much music uh, in your country and so many so wonderful song leaders. I've met some fantastic people uh, from Australia and, and, and people who come, uh, actually uh, um, a woman named Rebecca Spaulding who came and, and took the CCLT training. Because we met through a song because she wrote such a beautiful song called walk a mile and i heard it and i i reached out to her and said i'd love to perform your song and we created a great friendship online and ended up meeting in, in canada years later so amazing things happen through music amazing connections absolutely so for our listeners who'd like to see yourself in the choir perform uh, where should they look out for that well, we only perform locally here in Los Angeles, and we do two concerts a year. Uh, and uh, at this point, the best place to find out about that would be on the website. We just we just had a concert on December 21st, and we'll be working toward one in May, still deciding on the date. But we start our new session um, this coming Sunday. Uh, and in fact, um, we have a, a, a wonderful gentleman named Brendan Taffy who's coming to teach a workshop to the choir in the afternoon, and then the next day he's off to New Zealand for a month to um, to be teaching over there. So, a lot of crossing the pond. Absolutely. Now, you've obviously got the acting side and then the music side. Have you ever considered musical theatre? 
you know, when I was uh, young and starting out, I, of course, I had a great love for musical theater. And I was it, my, my first real kind of consistent work on stage was in a theater company for uh, a musical theater company for children called the Merry Mini Players. And it was when I was in high school and we would do uh, children's theater for children on the weekends, all musicals, all original musicals. And so that's sort of where I started. But at a certain point, I realized, you know, <laughs> I realized through some brutal experiences as a teenager, oh, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for musical theater. Maybe that's not my voice. And uh, and it's really the truth. I don't, I'm, I'm not built for it. You know, the, the, the music that I'm drawn to and the music that, that allows me to be vocally free is music that is, um, it just comes from another genre. And I find that that's kind of a mysterious, extraordinary thing about music, uh, that sometimes people who think they can't sing are not singing the right song. Mm, absolutely. So what have you got lined up that you can tell our listeners about? Well, I have choir beginning on the 18th. Um, uh, I have the uh, genie in a bikini um, little movie slash pilot for Nickelodeon. We'll see whether or not that turns into a show. And, uh, and beyond that, the new year is wide open, and I'm not sure what to expect, so I'm, I'm hoping for some surprises. It's always nice to have a couple of surprises along the way. Without a doubt. Now, finally, what advice would you offer to someone looking to work in the performance industry? Uh, well, you know, I think the, the answer to, to, to that is, is, is do (laughs) find ways to do and don't be held up by in an industry that has the capacity to say no to you. Um, you know, the, the, the answer to that is to find other ways and other places to be active and performing, whether it's in community or in schools or in, in local theaters or, or, you know, or independent film or student film or, you know, uh, uh, just do what you love to do without holding out for the big yes from, from the industry, because, uh, you know, that, so that's one, that's one thing I would suggest always. And it's certainly how I, um, how I kind of went on my road. You know, I just found things to do the craziest things I did, you know, small little plays in basements in New York. I I did a play directed by a 14 year old, uh, because I wanted to work. Hmm? Um, so in a basement, uh, so, uh, so that I would say, and the other thing that, you know, has sustained me uh, without a doubt is to have a rich and varied life, do other things, have other things that you love, other things that feed you. You know, I, I think as a young person, I thought I had to be a hundred percent focused on my acting career or it would never come true. But in fact, it's the richness of my life and the other things that feed and sustain me that allow me to walk into a room and give a good audition not the fact that I am, you know, 150% focused on, on, on that work. So yes, to be focused, yes, prepared without a doubt, um, but also rich, healthy, and happy in many ways. Well, thank you very much for your wise words and your time today. Thank you so much. I, I'm so glad we, we finally were able to meet and speak. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you. That was Maggie Wheeler talking to me about her wonderful career. Now, there haven't been that many films for me to review yet this year, but uh, already in the couple I've seen, there has been a superb film. Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance opened in cinemas yesterday, but I had a chance to see it a little bit earlier, and it is an amazing film. Uh, It was released in America and I think even in the UK quite a bit earlier, but uh, it's finally opened in Australian cinemas, and Michael Keaton, 
absolutely deserves the Golden Globe he won a couple of days back. Um, it's a very artsy film, uh, but it is utterly superb. It's made to look like it's only shot in two different takes the entire film, which is an incredible style of cinematography, and it just makes the film look brilliant. Now, the story, I can see why some people are criticising it, the fact that sometimes it doesn't make sense, it's hard to know what's real and what's not, but if a film doesn't raise a lot of questions, then... You know, it's not a great film. So I absolutely love that one, and I gave it five stars. But as always, you can read my full reviews of movies online. And that one is thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas. I've also checked out a couple of other films, like Unbroken, directed by Angelina Jolie. Now, this film it has a good script, it has good acting, but it's not brought together well at all. All the separate elements... Uh, are fairly strong, but uh, Angela and the Jolly hasn't been able to tie them together well. The cinematography doesn't suit the style of film. The music doesn't always seem appropriate to the situation, and uh, sometimes it really just doesn't fit right. And I suppose it really is let down by its terrible directing, and the fact it runs for over two hours rather needlessly. Um, but the story is still an important part of our history. It's a, it's a war story, World War Two story. So if you're interested in that. Uh, era of time, or we'd like to be educated more about some of the monstrosities and horrific things that uh, happened in World War II. That is a film that you probably should go and see. And I also saw that one thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas. Now, the other film I've had the opportunity to see is Still Alice. Now, that's not out to the 29th of January, but uh, Julianne Moore, who stars in the film, just picked up a Golden Globe for the role. Uh, now, the script is amazing, her acting is amazing, but the movie is let down by Alec Baldwin, who plays Julianne Moore's character's husband, and you could have replaced him with a plank of wood and not been able to tell the difference. Uh, so it's a, it's a strong movie, a wonderful script, directed wonderfully. Uh, as I said, Julianne Moore is outstanding, but uh, it, uh, it is let down a bit by Alec Baldwin. And I saw that thanks to Icon Films. But as always, you can check out the full reviews at uh, preacherspodcast.net under the movie reviews section. Now, Roadshow have also got some wonderful releases coming out over the next month and a bit. Uh, there's Felony, Into the Storm, uh, Nashville Season uh, 2 Part 1 is out on DVD very soon, as well as a whole range of other stuff. Now, uh, due to the Christmas break, I haven't had the opportunity to review a bit of it yet, um, so... Once that starts arriving, I'll have some reviews for you, so uh, look out for those next month. And also, Madman Entertainment will have some new DVDs for me to check out next uh, episode as well. So check out uh, the DVD reviews in the next episode. So uh, thank you to all of our wonderful suppliers and supporters on the show, Palace Nova Cinemas, Roadshow Entertainment, Madman Entertainment, and Mad Zombie Collectibles. And you can read all about those uh, supporters on the website under the supporters section. Now, don't forget about our upcoming Fringe show. Great Detectives of Old Time Radio Live is approaching, and uh, the Adelaide Fringe Festival is, is uh, also coming up, and I'm very excited to be a part of that again. Uh, you can book tickets now in the link in the show notes, and uh, you can refer to previous episodes for a trailer, and, of course, uh, all the details about the show are in the blurb of this podcast, so just check that out. Now, I'll be back with... Uh, my guest Peter Davison next week who was in Australia touring with a, uh, a wonderful music show so I'll be talking to him about that I've been your host Benjamin May McKay see you next time <laughs>